You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Up. My name is Chad Kroger. What's he doing? It's a Meyer shot that sort of deflected. No, was he the door off? Oh, that wasn't right, sir. Door. Should watch the game, Drancer. Yeah, great period. It's probably one of our best periods in about a month. That was awesome. What a freaking boost. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Halford. It is Brouth. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Brouth of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer. Today we are in Hour 1 of the program. Hour 1 is now brought to you by... North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler, pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid, visit them. 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. After yet another Canucks win, we are once again coming to you live from the the Canucks studio, the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. There you go. Let's get to the rundown, shall we? Three guests on a Wednesday. Jeff Merrick's going to join the program at 6.30. Uh, there's a lot to get into with Jeff from around the National Hockey League, but we will start with the Vancouver Canucks. 6-3 winners over the Ottawa Senators last night at Rogers Arena. Jeff's going to join us at 6.30 at 7.40. Note the start time, 7:40. Chris Peters, our hockey prospects expert. From Flow Hockey is going to join us the day after Canada was dumped from the World Juniors. But good news for the Canucks. The trio of Swedes are narrowly, narrowly on their way to the semifinals. So we'll talk to Chris about all that at 740. Uh, 8 o'clock, Randeep Janda. He was on the call with Brendan Batchel last night as the Canucks took care of the Sens 6-3. So working in reverse, uh, 8 o'clock, it's Randeep. 740, Chris Peters. 630, Jeff Merrick. We have a lot to get into. So without further ado... Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Elias P- Pedersen... Two goals in a five-goal first period. That was more than enough for the Vancouver Canucks as they held on to it 6-3, as mentioned, against the Sens on Tuesday night at Rogers Arena. Yeah, the Canucks definitely got a few bounces in the first. There were some weird goals that went in, uh, but they also dominated the Senators. And they had the Senators who are trying to learn how to play with structure and composure under new-slash-old head coach Jacques Martin, Martin. Um, the Sens were completely off balance for most of the 20 minutes. And the Canucks were, I don't know if they were deserving of a 5 nothing lead, but they were certainly deserving of a significant lead after 
after 20 minutes. Um, when you play in another team's end and you are winning races to the puck and you are creating turnovers, you know, that Tarasenko guy just turning the puck over to to Elias Pettersson and that type of things happen, you know, like good things are, are, are bound to happen for your team. PD, as you mentioned, had two goals, including one on the power play. He was really good last night. Um, and, you know, the, the next two periods, predictably, like the, I, I don't think anyone expected the Canucks to have a 15 nothing lead by the end of uh, the night. Uh, the Senators... You know, they were probably embarrassed by what happened in the first period. And the Canucks, it's only human nature. When you've got a five-goal lead, uh-huh. maybe you get a little bit sloppy. Um, I know that was the talk after the post-game show because you got to have something to complain about after a game. Uh, you have to have something to go like, yeah, but, yeah, they didn't play particularly well in the second and third period. But, listen, they had a five-goal a five goal lead, you know. And I don't think there was any point in that game. Like – I watched the Huskies nearly blow it in a colossal way mm-hmm. um, in the semifinals. Um, I never had any feeling of worry um, watching the Senators. You know, they made it 5-2, and I suppose they nearly made it 5-3, but they, they didn't. And even if they had made it 5-3, it still would have been a two-goal lead. Um, overall, I thought it was a great bounce back uh, from the Philly game, and – You know, we had mentioned uh, yesterday when we were previewing the game, like the Canucks um, have done really well to respond to poor outings, and they have only lost two in a row twice this season. That is is remarkable. Um, So, listen, I I know, you know, people are going to say the Canucks let the Sens back in, and that's not what playoff teams do. I'm like, yeah, it is. It happens all the time. Happens even the good te- even the good teams let their foot off the gas, right? Like it, it 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 just happens. It's natural. Maybe you get a little bit careless with the puck, and I know Rick Tockett was mentioning that. And listen, you have to acknowledge it. You have to say, like, L- listen, guys, maybe that's a bit of a lesson learned. But I don't know. They still won by three goals, and uh, now they've got a real tough road trip not just the length of the the trip it's seven games and not just the fact that you're going to start uh, or you're going to play at one point three games in in four nights but you're going to play some really good teams including teams like the New York Rangers and the New Jersey Devils but overall a great, I thought it was a great night they they played well in the first period and they won the game in the first period yeah and that's exactly what the head coach Rick Tockett had to say in the aftermath as well here's a little back and forth first three questions of his media availability all from Sportsnet 650's very own Brendan Batchelor about last night Rick Tockett said great first 20 maybe our best of the season here's more from the Canucks head coach after a 6-3 win over Ottawa on Tuesday night Rick, let's start with the first period tonight. How pleased were you with the way your team came out of the gate, especially after the four-day break? Yeah, great period. It's probably one of our best periods in about a month. That was awesome. What did you like about it the most? Like everything, just uh, you know, just aggressive tracking. Um, not too many mistakes. I just thought you know, everybody was uh, we were connected. JT just talked to us and said. The same things about the first period, but then was somewhat critical of the final 40 minutes. How challenging can it be when you have an early lead in a game like that going forward? And yeah, I, I, I don't think it's challenging. We, you just got to, you know, we didn't play the right way. 
Hey, take the two points, but it's a learning lesson for us. I did not like our 40. I hope the guys didn't, but, but uh, hey, we won the game. Love our first period, so that's basically my assessment of the game. Hey, I have a question. Yes. What is the difference between a learning lesson and a lesson? Uh, a learning lesson <laughs> is something that you will gain knowledge from. Yeah, that's a lesson. A lesson is just it's like it's like a rote sort of. Well, normal lessons you don't always in, yeah. you don't always get the information going into your brain. A learning lesson is a successful lesson. A normal lesson is one you just tune the teacher out. Yeah. Or is it possible yes. it's just an unnecessary word that he uses? Maybe, but it sounds nice. Oxford's Dictionary <laughs> yeah. defines a lesson as yeah. an amount of teaching given at one time, mm. a period of learning or teaching. So I suppose we could say... It's an unnecessary word. I'm just making a joke. But, There's no difference know. between a learning lesson and a lesson. I just let, like It's one of those things that Tockett says. But maybe there's the lesson, lesson you don't learn from. It's mm. just the lesson. Talk is like, we've had normal lessons. <laughs> they did not go well. <laughs> this is a learning lesson. The opposite of a learning lesson. That was last season. Actually, Talk had to be on his toes last night because um, even though the Canucks had that 5 nothing lead in the first, Phil DiGiuseppe got hurt. So yeah. the lines were not in a blender, but um, a lot of different wingers had to play with JT yeah, Miller. PSC and was all over the place. And Brock Besser, yeah. Suter played with those guys. Mikheyev played with those guys. Dakota Joshua played with those guys. Hoaglander played with those guys. Like, it was uh, it was kind of all over the map. And maybe one of the more interesting things looking ahead to the game Thursday in St. Louis is who um, is going to go back into the lineup or who could get called up and go into the lineup because right. – Remember we went into yesterday's game and we said, okay, well, based on the practice lines, it looks like Di Giuseppe is going to be back in. And, yes, Di Giuseppe was back in before he got hurt. Um, but then we also thought that it was probably going to be Nils Hoaglander who was going to be the healthy scratch. Now, Rick Tock had never fully committed to that. And he said, hmm, we got a game-time decision to make. And yep. ultimately, a game-time Hoaglander played. But Nils Amon came out of the lineup. Well, Di Giuseppe's hurt. Uh, now, so it doesn't sound like he's going to be back anytime soon. Was there an update on? Yeah, on, there on was Giuseppe? an update. It is a, it's a lower body injury. Talkett confirmed that post. Okay. Talkett also confirmed that he wouldn't be playing for a little while. Right. Uh, but then he also added he hadn't talked to the doctors yet. So I guess the initial reaction was, okay, it's a significant enough injury that's going to knock him out of the lineup for the foreseeable future. So I'll be curious to see who comes up from Abbotsford. You know, chances are it's probably going to be Linus Carlson just because – Everyone's familiar with him. Sure. He's he's been up before. He knows how to fly on the charter. But yeah, well, is rules. that hard? They're rules, really. Yeah, okay. I can't tell you about them, but they're oh. rules. Oh, okay, all right. Well, m maybe it'll be someone else um, from Abbotsford. Um, you know, Jeremy Calton might have someone else that he wants to reward or th or tell Rick Tocca that he's been doing a good job. Um, we'll see. That's something uh, to monitor going forward, though. Um, overall, though, like I, I honestly, I know there. On the post game show, they wanted to talk about, you know, the the second and third periods. Well, they did. That, they did. I don't want to. I don't want to correctly state what sat and okay. Big, we're talk, talking about. They were talking about the dynamic of do we praise a six three victory yes. and a terrific twenty minutes. Yes. Or do we talk about the final forty? And I was like, "Don't talk about the final forty. The game was over." I barely watched. I barely watched the second and third periods. I was so just the Canucks. I was just. I was just kind of like putting together the show prep notes, and I would look up every once in a while, and you can get you can get a kind of a feel for a game. Yeah. 
there was no sense that the Sens were going to come back and tie that game. Noted like Canucks trade target there really Vladimir wasn't. Tarasenko did score twice uh, in the latter half. Yeah, th- of that those game. are the types of goals he scores now, like the big goals greasy, to make them a greasy guy to now. make it like a four goal game and then a three goal game. As the comeback begins in the comeback <laughs> NHL. Okay, so Drancer did have uh, a couple interesting questions of Rick talking. You said quite astutely, I might add, that good things happen. When you have the puck in the opposition's end and you're continuously applying pressure. And Drance sort of went down that road with Tockett, alluding to the way that the Carolina Hurricanes conduct their business. I don't know if you heard this or not, but the essential, the question, and it wasn't even necessarily a question, it was Drance. He just threw out a fact and then was like, talk about it. Um, that, you know, if you can continuously put a team in un- uncomfortable spots, eventually things like last night will happen where yeah. maybe you don't necessarily deserve to be five goals up in the first period. And maybe you're getting not one, not two, but, I mean, how many of those goals were really fortunate plays? I mean, Suter ripped that one to make it 6-3. <laughs> so, I mean, that was... That guy's got a cannon. That kind of summed up the Sens night. It's like, and now this is going in. <laughs> but, uh, and, and it's an interesting thing, because I think when you when Tockett discusses the staples and the non-negotiables and all the hockey speak and coaching cliches, there is a bigger end game than just sticking to your principles. And I think what it is is safe. Can you put a team and the opposition in enough enough uncomfortable positions where things are going to happen for you? You don't have to jump out of your shoes to try and score a goal. and You don't have to break the mold to try and make a play. It's just you keep doing the same things over and mm-hmm. over again. And eventually, and I'm not saying puck luck, okay? I don't want to go down that road because I don't think you could rely on puck luck. I think what the the overall synopsis is, is that if you can play a certain style and dictate what you want to do on your opponent, then nights like last night will happen. But more often than not, you'll be able to, one, know what you want to do, and then, two, have the predictability where guys know where they want to be on the ice. And I think those are all keys to why the Canucks have been so good this year and why they've only had two two-game losing streaks this season. Yeah, just to add on to that, because I think that's really worth hammering home um, in the house of positivity. Only losing twice in a row twice this season, they're almost at the ha- halfway mark of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really impressive, and it's yet another sign that the team has matured and can be honest about how it's playing, whether it's playing well or whether it's not playing well. And do you remember when we came into the season and we said, it's time to raise the standard? Yeah. And it's time to stop um, using the kid gloves on these guys. And, you know, as fans – you know, sometimes we're like, we don't want to put too much pressure on them. What if they crumble? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> if they crumble under the pressure, then get rid of them. Yeah. Right? Like, that's that's great. You know, I, I'm, I'm actually really glad, and I remember saying this before, I'm glad that we started the season with a ton of pressure on the Canucks because we, we, we got a learning lesson about this team, right? We learned something about this team. As opposed to a lesson. Yeah, as opposed to just a lesson, right? Vast differences, apparently. Um, but we saw that this team, when it has pressure, and when it's pre- and this is key, guys, when it's properly prepared, mm-hmm. can do some good things. Um, you know, the team has matured, and as I said, they can be honest about how they're playing. But this is the key: they need to know 
what they have to do to be successful. And there were times, you know, in the last few years when like they'd have a good bounce back or whatever, they'd play well for a stretch and kind of be like, well, what's the key? And they're like, I don't know. We just played better. Mm-hmm. Right. There are, you know, it's a huge deal when you actually understand your game yep. and you're being prepared properly and you're begin- being given honest feedback. Um, when you compare Rick Tockett's team right now to the way they kind of just like were blindly, blindly finding their way around under previous coaches like there is no difference and there's a reason that Tockett is right at the top of the favorites to be named coach of the year in the NHL this year Uh, before we move on to other topics this morning shout out to friend of the show Ian Cole former guest on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650 scored his first goal in 90 games last night obviously it was his first goal as a Canuck uh, so good on Ian Cole there. That uh, was a nice play by Petey to let that go. Petey was very good last night. Yeah. Petey, there was a lot of I think of guys it was McKayev rimmed it around, and then Petey could have picked it up on his backhand. But he, what, what do you call that in soccer? A dummy? A dummy. Yeah. You just let it run through your legs. Yeah. So he just let it run up the wall. That was famously and... done by Mario Lemieux at Salt Lake in 2000, I want to say. That was yeah, I... similar stakes last night, too. Yeah. It was the same thing, Yeah, basically. Okay. Speaking of scoring goals, uh, some more great times for the Vancouver Canucks because Jonathan Lekaramaki is putting on a show for Sweden at the World Juniors. Yesterday, if you were listening to our show or watching it on the live stream, you'll know that we were running right up against uh, Canada's eventual and stunning loss to Czechia at the World Juniors, knocking the Canadians out in the quarterfinals. But for Canucks fans, this tournament was always going to be about two things. One, Team Canada. And then two, the trio of prospects playing for Team Sweden. Well, Team Sweden, by the skin of their teeth, got past Switzerland 3-2 in overtime yesterday. And Lekker Mackey had his fingerprints all over this game. He scored a goal in regulation. He got an assist on the game winner in overtime. And now the reports are out there, I guess, through a Swedish media outlet that Patrick Alvin is very keen to get Lekaramaki over to Abbotsford at the end of this Swedish Hockey League campaign. So good vibes as the Swedes now take on Czechia in the semifinals. For me, this is similarly raising the bar, not just for Canucks players, but for the prospects as well. How many times have we watched Canucks players not dazzle at the World Juniors and then being like, don't panic! Don't panic. Like, we don't, we need to stop putting so much pressure on these guys. Like, no. This is Lekaramaki's third world juniors. And this should be the expectation that he goes over there and he's one of the best players in this tournament. Right. And he's been that. Right now, he's got to be in the running for some, what do they do, post-tournament. They do, you know, best forward, best defenseman, best goalie. But they also do, like, an all-star team. I think he leads the, media, the Swedes in yeah, scoring. Media picks the all-star the team. Tournament. Yeah. You know, that's a realistic goal, um, especially if the Swedes can get all the way to the gold medal game, which it kind of looks like they're on a collision course with the United States for a gold medal game. But as we saw um, from the Canadians, anything can happen uh, in this tournament. Um, you know, Lecker is a really important player for the Canucks, not just because he's one of their top prospects. He's one of their few blue chip prospects, right? Um, you know, there are some guys, you know, of course, Vlander is their other blue chip prospect that they drafted. Um, I'm quite curious about Ratu. I'd like to see him again at some point this season. But, you know, Lecker is an important player, and I don't really love, like, <laughs> you know, Brock Besser's had such a great season that I don't really want to 
start the planning for when his contract is up, but it is. Well, don't you think it's worth noting that his contract is up in in not this summer, but the following summer? Like that's pretty close, and he's UFA then, right? And if he keeps scoring like he's scoring, he's (laughs) going to be pretty expensive to keep. Um, Sometimes tough choices need to be made when you're building a team and when you've got high end talent like the Canucks have. And you're still not perfect, right? You're still not a Stanley Cup contender. It's a lot easier to make those tough decisions when you've got young guys ready to fill holes. Yep. And I'll say this. Yesterday we were talking about um, players and guys on the cusp of moving to the next level showing out in a big moment. We were talking about it specifically with Michael Penix Jr. Mm -hmm. for the University of Washington in the National Football, uh, College Football Semifinal, throwing for 430 yards. This tournament is about showing up on the big stage. I mean, it's supposed to be if you've got the best 19-year-olds on the planet, they're supposed to step up and carry the tournament. Very rare instances does a wonderkind come through and shine. But this is usually if you're one of the best guys at age 19, you should dominate. You should be scoring tons of goals and you should be making big plays. Especially when you're on a good team and you're not, and you're hosting the tournament, you got the fan support like this. If Lecker, if Lecker Amaki hadn't showed up at this tournament, I'd be, be worried. Huge concerns, yeah. right? And this is now, is this always going to translate to NHL success? No, far from it. There's so much development that needs to go into it. But what you have to say is this is a great sign that a guy is able to take on I mean, he's take, he's shouldering a ton of responsibility with this team. And as you mentioned, a ton of pressure mm-hmm. hosting the tournament in Sweden with a very boisterous fan base behind them. So good vibes for the Canucks on the prospects front there. Uh, let's move on to a couple games from the National Hockey League last night before we go to Jeff Merrick coming up next at 630. And we will begin with the Edmonton Oilers and Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid, just a mere goal and four assists <laughs> last night, became the fifth Fastest player in NHL history to 900 points. Oilers win 5-2 against the Flyers. Perhaps more importantly, the Oilers have now won six straight. So their second win streak of six games or more under new head coach Chris, don't call me Chuck Knobloch. They look really, really dangerous. And you brought up something interesting in the notes here is that McDavid has the ability to maybe win another Art Ross, even though for the first two months of the season, it looked like he was nowhere close. Yeah, I'm betting on him to do it right now. He's got 53 points in 33 games. Uh, That's third place behind McKinnon in second with 61 in 38, and Kucherov, 63 in 38. McDavid won the Art Ross by, like, what, 20 or 30 points last season? It wasn't even close. Right? It 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 was a wide, wide gap, and he... He does it because in these, you know, when these oh, the Oilers go on these streaks, mm-hmm. you almost you've become so used to McDavid putting up crazy numbers, you almost lose perspective of how incredible it is. So on this six game win streak, he has twelve points, <laughs> right? He's averaging two points a night, and it's just like, oh, hum. Connor McDavid's doing Connor McDavid things. Five points last night yeah. against the Flyers. So um, you know, everything right now is shaping up for the Oilers to be in the playoffs as a wild card team. For McDavid to be absolutely cooking going into those playoffs and then everyone mm-hmm. being like, oh, I wish they had kept Jay Woodcroft. I mean, it's possible. They, there could be a matchup with the Canucks. It's possible in the first round. Uh, we need to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. Hey, we got a text in this morning. Um, I, I think we probably haven't talked about them as much because the Canucks haven't played them. Same as the LA Kings, right? Well, we've talked a little bit about both teams, but 
it, it makes a difference when the te- when the Canucks play these teams. Um, I thought the Jets would fall off after Kyle Connor got hurt, mm-hmm. and it's crazy um, how well they're playing and they're doing it without even like what people are like. How are they doing it? Do they have great special teams? Nope. <laughs> Their penalty kill is actually not very good at all. Uh, the power play is not very good. They are just a really good five-on-five team. And they have, it should be noted, a pretty high PDO like the Canucks. So the question about the Jets, um, you know, if it's fair to ask of the Canucks, it's fair to ask of the Jets, is all of this sustainable? Um, I wonder if there's like a Winnipeg Thomas Trance that's pointing this out. Possibly. On the daily? Possibly. Getting dunked um, on by... By the way, I, I actually wonder, what percentage of our listeners know what PDO is? Or do their brands just go like, yeah, I don't care. I hear that thing all the time. PDO, in case you don't know, is just the combined uh, shooting percentage of a team and save percentage of a team. So the Canucks have a unbelievably high shooting percentage mm-hmm. okay a lot of the shots they take like that cannon from pew Suter last night to close out the game go in the net mm-hmm. and there are skeptics out there that said that is unsustainably high it won't keep happening they won't keep getting the bounces and sure. there is you know you can have a good team typically has a higher PDO than a bad team because they've got number one, a good goaltender and number two, good shooters, but there are degrees to how high a PDO can be. Mm -hmm. I just wonder how many times we talk about this stat and other people talk about this stat. They're just like, I have no idea what these guys are talking about. Isn't that good? If you have a high save percentage, a high shooting percentage, why is everyone treating that? Like it's a bad thing. I think there's just like a, there's kind of like a natural balance of where a PDO should be based on a team. And I wonder if, I wonder what's going to happen to both the Canucks and the Jets. The Jets are a great, a great, great story though, considering, you know, the players that have left, um, the way the playoffs ended for them last year, and um, the injury to Kyle Connor, and they're just chugging along. Uh, we got to go to break, but Laddie, real quick. Yeah, Connor Hellebuck, because you start talking about the Jets, so I pulled up his game log. I had that stat about oh, he hasn't had a sub nine twenty game in forever. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you think he's given up more than three goals in a game? Uh, it was three months or two months ago. Uh, no- Twenty six consecutive games. November second, yeah. he gave up four. That yeah. was twenty games ago. They've got between the two goalies, they've got twenty six consecutive yeah. games allowing three goals or fewer. It's crazy. That's, That's sustainable. But I bet that. Yeah. Hard to lose. That's but I bet, but I bet they're great defensively. Like oh, yeah. Rick Bonus is a good defensive coach, right? And I think they probably all came together and said, like, listen, guys, especially when Connor went out, like, we got to tighten this up. We've got to be really good at five on. Well, Hellebuck, there's rumors of him going to Buffalo, and guys like Woodley were like, no, that's, the weaknesses would be so shown mm-hmm. in that environment. Winnipeg knows how to play in front of Connor Hellebuck. It was smart for him to go back. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Randy Janda here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Randy. How are you? What's going on, boys? Happy New Year. I guess we can still say that, right? What's the uh, what's the expiry date on saying Happy New Year? Another day or two? I'm willing to give it until Friday. After that, all once right. the first week of the year is over, I'm a t- I'm, I'm a two week guy, two weeker. Carry it all the way to yeah. Chinese New Year. Yeah, Why not? Yeah. Why yeah. not? Good call. It. Uh, what were your thoughts on the game last night? Good first period, and then did you care particularly that the Canucks were a little sloppy in the second and third? 
Yeah, I think it's human nature for when you get a 5 nothing lead. First of all, a, a heck of a response. When we talk about puck pursuit guys, right from the outset of that game, uh, one team was ready to go. One team took the Philadelphia game very, very personally. And you could see that in the practices that followed that game where the Canucks did get some ice in Vancouver. And, yeah, Rick Tockett wanted to send a message to say, all right, if you're not going to come out of the, uh, the Christmas break, playing hard and battling well i'm gonna i'm gonna make you skate and he did give him a bag skate he had a couple of hard practices and they were ready to go uh overall five nothing in the first period how can you complain about that you know that's just very direct hockey they were playing fast and the final 40 like i said it's human nature to just kind of sit back a little bit to lean back a little bit to say you've done your job and there's going to be a response in the second period after you spank him in the first period uh, Jacques Martin and his staff were not happy, and they let Ottawa know you expected them to be chippy. You expect them to lean in a little bit. And I, I'm not, you know, I know Rick Tockett saying the final 40 were were things that they can't have. They have to prove that's what I expected him to say. That's what I expected the players like JT Miller to say. But it is human nature where you kind of you start to sit back a little bit because you've done all your work essentially in the first 20, and guys, it didn't really matter in the end. They end up getting the victory. So. The first 20 is what I'm focusing on because it was so positive, and that's exactly how this team wants to play. Was that one of Petey's best game of the season? No doubt. And you start looking at Pedersen's game overall. I know the two goals will be focused on um, the 3 nothing goal. I-, I love that goal because he picks the pocket of Bernard Docker and tries to go with the bank shot. So you have hard work. You have a little bit of trickery. He sticks with the play, and then he outbattles Thomas Shabbat on the other side. And that's something we've seen with Pedersen where when he's at F2 kind of comes in, um, he leads the league in wraparound goals, but he's attempted so many where he's just sticking in around that blue paint. He's trying to make that move to the outside and, and go come back on the other side. So that battle level, I loved it on that goal. And sure. The five, nothing goal. There's an element of flukiness there with a, a 51 mile per hour. One timer <laughs> goes through the goaltender, right? Like, Hey, uh, you'll take it, especially for a power play that's been struggling. But the engagement level was what I really liked. And on the goal, the 2 nothing one, uh, sorry, the 3 nothing one that I mentioned, but even the one nothing uh, goal that uh, the Canucks ended up scoring there, and Ian Cole gets his first goal of the season, but, you know, just the, the dummy play, you want to call it that, yeah. by uh, the Elias Pettersson, just intelligence there on that goal. And overall, just all over the ice, winning battles, jumping on loose pucks, uh, that was one of his better games. And I, I'm not even looking at the goal specifically. I'm looking around his his play all over the ice. Did you see what happened to Phil DiGiuseppe? And where did the Canucks go from there? Yeah, it was an awkward play where, you know, real time, you don't really pick it up because it was not like it was a big hit. There was a, a little bit of a, a hit by Travis Hamannick on the play, but it felt like Phil Giuseppe maybe was dealing with something earlier on in the play. And, you know, the fact that Rick Tockett mentioned it was a lower body injury, really the only contact that Hamnick seemed to make with him was shoulder to shoulder. So, you know, a bit of a, a curious play. I do wonder when it's something like that and there's no contact. Uh, this, this is just me thinking here and uh, not going off of anything I know, but, you know, is it something like a groin where you, you kind of, uh, as you're skating, uh, you know, you kind of feel it and, and he does, stay on the ice for another 20 seconds after uh, after you kind of notice him maybe kind of letting up a little bit. But, yeah, it's a curious one because it seemed to be – I know 
Talk had mentioned that he had to, to talk to the doctor still, but the fact that he'd still be out for a little while, um, that, what does that imply? A week, two weeks, we'll see. Mm-hmm. But overall, uh, Neil Zoman is there. He's a guy that doesn't play the same type of game, doesn't give you the ability to move up the ice, but you know that's a luxury you have with Hugh Suter, where Suter essentially um, can play any one of those four lines. He's a smart player. He's an intelligent player. He's a guy that is not shying away from you know some of those areas that you need to win puck battles and you need to get greasy goals. That 2 nothing goal was a classic example. So I think PDG definitely hurts you that he's not in the lineup potentially here because he when he's going, he can forecheck well, and the Canucks need more of those guys. But um, we'll see here. It's, it's going to be a, a pretty grueling start to this seven-game road trip, and, and having an aggressive forecheck is going to be something that they're going to need. Um, we were discussing who might get called up if they call someone up. Um, is the favorite Linus Carlson just because he's been up already, or is there another guy that you have in mind? Yeah, I think with the having players that kind of play that way, um, and Neil Zoman is, is having him on the roster is key, right? I think with Carlson, you want somebody that you can kind of plug and play in that spot. So, A, big body. He's a guy that talk it, even though he didn't lean on him too much when he did play. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, that was something that, you know, a, a player that is able to play that style in, in a fourth-line role. So I, I'd say my favorite is still Linus Carlson, but there are a couple of players that I'm looking at eventually. And I know, you know, Vasily Podkolzin is, you know, picking up some confidence uh, over the last few weeks here. He's getting near 10 goals at the AHL level. I'd like to see him simmer a little bit more, but you do start to wonder, uh, even if it's a, depending on how, um, you know, how long, Phil Giuseppe would be out. You, you give him a cameo at the NHL level at some point. Uh, another player that had a great start to the year, and if you're looking at that third, fourth-line role, just to get some reps with the NHL team, is Archie Baines. This is a guy that you know has some offense in his game. He's improved uh, going back to the last year in Abbotsford, uh, has been one of the most improved players at the AHL club. And if it's a short stint in the NHL, you want to give him a taste or you want him to practice up with the team, uh, that's another option, but... You know, there's some more veteran players on that team as well. So it's not just those guys, but I would still go Linus Carlson. I just think he fits the profile, not only of having the NHL experience guys, but the physical profile too. We know what Rick Tockett likes in his forward group, especially with guys uh, that are playing on potentially the fourth line or the second line, the ability to move up. It's a, a heavier, you know, bigger guys that, that can skate a little bit. But, you know, when, when in doubt, uh, Rick Tockett is going to lean towards the side. So I would go... Linus Carlson on that front. We're speaking to Canucks radio analyst Randy Janda here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, big night last night for Pew Suter, Randy, obviously with the two goals and an assist. Every time I watch him play, granted he's been hurt, so it's only been 23 times this year, but every time I watch him play, I keep wondering how this guy lasted until the middle of August without an NHL contract, had to take a pretty significant haircut to get a deal. I mean, his cap hit is basically half of what it was in Detroit. It just feels like not a diamond in the rough because he is is an established NHLer, but it seems like a guy that a lot of NHL teams could have used, and kudos to the Canucks for finding him, identifying him, signing him, and then getting him for the kind of cap hit that they got him for. Totally, and playing the patient game where, yeah, maybe for Pew Suter wasn't the greatest thing because, you know, we hear it a lot uh, in the NHL where in a, in a cap situation such as this, the middle class loses out, and Pew Suter is very much in that middle class of free agents. But, guys, really intelligent player. And one of the things that, you know, when you cover Detroit or Chicago and other teams sparingly over the last few years, 
one of the things I've really been impressed with uh, is, is his intelligence, right? This is a, a smart hockey player that, given the opportunity, he does have that offensive ability. He's, he's somebody that has you know, scored 15 goals in his career uh, three times, if I'm not mistaken, or in and around that area. He's a guy that, given, you know, his oppor- given a chance in, in you know, playing on a line that, a third or fourth line that has some offensive ability. And remember, let's go back to the beginning of the year. Uh, there were some moments where he was getting a chance with a Connor Garland. There was some good chemistry in the preseason. So even though Bluger has taken that you know, opportunity from him um, and, and really done a great job with it, Pew Suter, his versatility, uh, in a way, this has kind of worked out for the Canucks to say, hey, Bluger, you take down the middle with Dakota Joshua, Connor Garland, you're doing a great job. And Suter, uh, we're going to use you wherever we can. And I think a classic example of that was yesterday when PDG goes down with that injury. You're seeing Suter on the Pedersen line. You're seeing Suter in the fourth line. You're seeing Suter on uh, sparingly use of JT Miller, where whenever you need this guy, whether it's down the middle, whether it's on the wing, he's, you know, and generally we say a jack of all trades and, you know, a master of none. And that's seen as a, a bit of a negative. Uh, with Pew Suter, that's exactly what you need now, but also looking at the playoffs where injuries are going to happen. So can you use this player who's smart, who's skilled? And what I liked about his goal yesterday, guys, was, you know, he wins a battle in front of the net, a bit of a pinball goal, uh, takes the deflection, hits the boards, bounces back. But he's, he's battling there with Jacob Chikrin. So it's not just, you know, he's going to find his soft areas and score with that shot. Nope, he'll, he'll take a cross check and score too. But he does it in an intelligent way where his path to the net, he's not going to go through you. He's just a slippery, smart player. Randy, this is a big picture question that we were kicking around earlier in the show. Considering where the Canucks are right now in the standings and considering Elias Pettersson is going to get a big raise for next season and considering Philip Hronik is going to get a big raise next season, they've got a bunch of UFAs that they might not be able to keep, guys like Teddy Bluger and Sam Lafferty, um, you know, Ian Cole, Nikita Zadorov, they're all pending UFAs. Could this year, this season, be the best chance the Canucks have to make a deep run in the playoffs in the next two, three, four years? When you're talking about competing and with quality players, I think outperforming your contract is a key element to that, right? When we, we start looking at a cap world of, are you able to get players, and Pew Shooter we just talked about, but some of those other players you listed there as UFAs, um, based on market value, they might be making exactly what they deserve or less. And in a situation right now with the Canucks at 51 points through 37 games, uh, I think the, the situation they're in is a really good one. And it might be the best opportunity in the sense that, you know, while you're trying to find players on entry-level deals, while you're trying to graduate some players from the AHL, which is going to take some time, it, you know, whether that's an Atu Ratu, whether that's a, a Vasily Colson, whether that's uh, even a Niels Hoaglander who is, at the NHL level, but is he bringing that consistency? You need those veterans. So, you know, I think with the cap going up in the next couple of years here, there are going to be other opportunities, but this is a heck of an opportunity. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't say this is the best opportunity because the cap and, and the dollars going up in the NHL are going to change the game. It's not going to be as dire as it's been the last few years with, you know, cap room and some UFAs coming off the books. It does provide an opportunity for this team to, to do some things. Um, but guys, this is something that they've got a veteran group. They've got some youth sprinkled in there. They've got, you know, two of the best, uh, two of the top 10 point scores in the NHL with Quinn Hughes and JT Miller, Elias Pedersen's hovering in that top 10 spot. They got one of the best goaltenders 
And you have to take advantage of that. So, you know, big picture, one of the things I didn't think I'd be considering is how much this, does this team load up? Do you make a move, you know, tinkering with the top six? Do you add another defenseman? Or you say, hey, this team has given itself an opportunity. They really deserve uh, another quality player in that top six or an impact piece. I think it's really opened that door because maybe at the beginning of the year, you're saying, hey, ride it out, see what happens. And, and maybe you got some decisions at the trade deadline or if this team is competitive in a playoff spot, you ride it out and say, okay, let's see what they can do. No, they put themselves in a conversation where some of those guys might be looking in the room to say, hey, all right, management, <laughs> how are you going to help us mm-hmm. out here? Uh, we put ourselves in a spot. So it's a heck of a spot. I think with the cap going up in the next couple of years, that uh, might not be the best opportunity, but it sure is one that you know you have to look at right now if you're management to say, how do we take advantage of this? Yeah, the cap is going up, but again, Petey's going to get a big raise. Heronik's sure. going to get a yep. big raise, and then you've got the Ekman-Larsen buyout that ramps up in a couple of years, and that's going to be like a $4 million cap hit in a couple of seasons. I just think about, I think about a guy like Dakota Joshua, who's 27 years old. He's making his cap hit right now is, is less than a million dollars. He's shown he can put the puck in the net this year. He's part of maybe, I don't know, all the bottom six lines in the NHL, but I'd argue he's part of one of the best bottom six lines in the NHL, and he can kill penalties. Like, if you're Dakota Joshua, aren't you looking for, like, a $3 million cap hit in your next contract? Yeah, you're probably looking at – we actually had this conversation off air the other day, Batch and I, and I think the two and a half is probably the number you're looking at uh, if you're if you're Dakota Joshua, the, the starting point, right? Where mm-hmm. um, if he continues to do what he does, then you're right about the the number of players that are in that conversation. So Pedersen and Hronik, of course, we know what their situations are, but you add Teddy Bluger to that, you add Sam Lafferty, who's having a heck of a year, and then uh, the assortment of defensemen that still need to get paid in our UFAs or RFAs. Uh, one thing I would say, though, and this is something that this management group has done better over the last decade uh, than the, the previous regime, is finding those players that nobody else is thinking of or maybe other teams are undervaluing. And you can go to a Sam Lafferty. Uh, you can go to you know other players. So the key here is, yes, this is, this is a time where you know, I think everybody is recalibrating what this team is capable of and do you go for it now and you know, what does go for it mean uh, in terms of assets? What does that mean in terms of impact players? But I think with Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford, they've shown, and really this was their message right off the bat, guys, when they took the job to say, collegiate free agents, European free agents, uh, we're going we're gonna to find undervalued players across the league. So if you trust the process, if you, if you, you know, read into what they've been able to do the last couple of years, it's finding those cheaper players. And I think they've shown that through their track record that, yes, you know, right now you got to strike, but can they find the next Sam Lafferty? Can they find, you know, uh, even if it's players that fill a role for a couple of months or mm-hmm. a month, like a Mark Friedman did, uh, I think this management group thus far has shown that they can do that. So, yes, the window is open now, as Jim Rutherford was saying, it's opening. Uh, but that's why I think in the future, there's still that opportunity there because, you know, in today's NHL, you have to be able to to trust your scouting networks and, and your ability to get players that, like Pew Suter, that are outperforming their contracts. Randeep, this was great, man. Thanks for taking the time to do it. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. Have a good call for the Blues game on Thursday. And once again, because I only have two more days to say it, Happy New Year, bud. Cheers, boys. Happy New Year. I'm going to use the uh, the rough two-week uh, cutoff there. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I got another week.
Good, good. <laughs> Enjoy yeah. it, Randy. Thanks, good, bud. Boys. See yep. you, buddy. Randy Janda here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, it is time for what we learned. A reminder, if you want to be on the radio, that's right. Be on the radio. We'll read your what we learned on the other side. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you hashtag it WWL and you send it in and it's good, we'll read it on the air. Now, uh, I'm going to do another what we learned. Oh, this is also yours as well. You were the one that actually submitted it to mm, us right. via email. Um, Aaron Rodgers yesterday. <laughs> I'm gonna I believe try- you guys are giving time to this. Why? It's a big story. Uh, There's lots of layers to it. And I'm going to, you know what I'm going to Every do? layer less interesting than the next. <laughs> I disagree because mm. I think there's something important going on here. But I w- I'm going to lay this out as unbiased and as factually as possible. Okay? So yesterday, Aaron Rodgers did his regular appearance on the Pat McAfee show. On ESPN. Right. ESPN, as many people know, is owned by Disney. That's important to keep in mind as this story goes along. Okay? Aaron Rodgers, over the last few years, has sort of had this not really a rivalry, but kind of a rivalry, but they don't like each other, and they're kind of taking shots at one another relationship with Jimmy Kimmel, who has a late-night talk show you may have heard of. Everyone knows this. And what uh, what network is that on? ABC. And who owns ABC? Disney. Okay. Have we laid that out? Here is what... Aaron Rodgers had to say about Jimmy Kimmel on the Pat McAfee show on ESPN, again, a company of Disney's, yesterday. This has something to do with the Epstein list that came out? <laughs> feels like. <laughs> feels like. That's supposed to be coming out soon. That's supposed to be coming out soon. Look, this guy's been it's waiting in his wine people. cellar. Yeah. I've been waiting in my yeah, wine cellar for this thing. A lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't happen. <laughs> All right. All right. Obviously, a clip from this particular program was run on Jimmy Kimmel's show uh, whenever Aaron brought up the, the list and then. Jimmy mocked him for it. Mm-hmm. Aaron has not forgotten about that. But here we are sitting right in front of that nice bottle of scotch. Mm-hmm. What do you say? I'm waiting to celebrate something. Oh, yeah. yeah something <laughs> He's off. been waiting That's for the that. one. <laughs> you been waiting hey, I'll tell you what. If that list comes out, I definitely will be popping, popping some sort of bottle. So everyone knows what's going on in that clip, right? If you don't, uh, he is referring to the list of um, – I don't even want to say invitees. People that had visited associates. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein associates. Jeff yeah. Epstein, the financier with the <laughs> island. Uh, anyway, the, the, a very serious situation that involves a sex ring and pedophilia and everything else has been morphed into kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge inside mm-hmm. joke. Oh, you're on the Epstein list. Right. Now, there's no evidence to, su- to suggest that Jimmy Kimmel is involved in that, by the way. But Aaron Rodgers just threw it out there. Now, we're in a real crux here because we mentioned that Disney now has a very weird situation on its hands where two of its biggest platforms right now, I'm not joking, is probably the Jimmy Kimmel Show and the Pat McAfee Show. Mm -hmm. They're huge properties. They're huge platforms. And would you say that Aaron Rodgers is the biggest guest, the most popular guest, the most news-creating guest on the Pat McAfee Show? I bet Pat McAfee is not on ESPN without the exclusivity to Aaron Rodgers. Right. Okay? So what what is poor Bob Iger, who's gone back to Disney... And to be the CEO, how does he handle so this? So that's one major, major aspect of this. Is you've almost got two of your biggest properties clearly 
not liking one another and going after one another. Because mm-hmm. after that clip aired, Jimmy Kimmel took to Twitter and essentially said that he was going to sue yeah. Aaron Rodgers for defamation. And he said, and he said something that I think is important too. Is like, listen, if you say this sort of stuff, you're putting my family at jeopardy. Now, Aaron, and I, this is why I wanted to try and paint every corner and every picture. I just want to throw it out there as unbiased as, as I can. There are some people out there who have said that this is just the latest and most recent salvo in two guys crap talking one another. Two guys that are taking shots at one another because, and essentially, it comes down to well, Kimmel started it. Then there are the other people that and will maybe say, like people will be like Bob Iger loves it. People are talking about his employees. And then the, the other people that will say, well, what is escalation, right? Where is the line? What is too far? Mm-hmm. Where is it making fun of someone's vaccination status can lead to accusing someone of being on the Epstein Island list? And at this point, everything is so sullied and everything is so toxic that I don't really know where the line is. Yeah. Some people... Have an no idea one knows. Of it. No one knows where the line is when it comes to that big word discourse. Yeah, right. What what, what is things tact? have changed? What is acceptable? Yeah. And I mean, I I do, I honestly don't know. But here, and it was interesting because there was a writer from uh, the New York Times. Oh, the New York Times. But he brought up a really good point. Benjamin Hoffman from the New York Times. He says, "I know exactly how this is going to go. Aaron Rodgers is going to announce in a day or two that mainstream media twisted his words and he would never imply that Jimmy Kimmel was actually on the Epstein list. That this is, and this is I'll actually... say it was obviously tongue-in-cheek. Because remember... As related to our, our friendly rivalry. And that's, I think, unfortunately, how this is going to play out. Is well, the, how would you like to see it played out? Aaron Rodgers getting sued? Kinda. Yeah. If you're going to say something... If you're gonna go, I'd love to see Aaron Rodgers be be forced to read an apology. Like that would be incredible. Do you, do you remember? He chooses, to, he chooses to represent himself in court. Yeah, like, well, I will represent myself. You remember the you remember the one thing about the vaccination issue was that he remember he referred to himself as inoculated. Right. Yeah. You know, like he likes to do this, and it's great. And if you want the platform and you want to have unfiltered and unfettered access to get your message out there, that's awesome. But you have to stand by what you're saying. Like, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, I want the message to be delivered from me, by me, and that way I can go straight to the consumer with it. Could he not argue, though, that it was obviously tongue-in-cheek? You can argue anything you want. Yeah. But to dance around it Mm -hmm. and, you know, to bring it up unprompted, like, it wasn't like they were talking about Jimmy Kimmel and the Epstein list. He brought it up out of nowhere. Well, didn't one of the other guys bring it up, the Epstein list? Yeah, but then they didn't bring up Jimmy Kimmel. Right, right. Right? Yeah. I mean, and that's you could, the thing. you could hear Pat McAfee panicking just a little bit. When a like, little oh, okay. bit. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Having panicked numerous times on air. Yeah. I know what on air panic is. Let's uh, change like. the subject now, yeah. shall we? Yeah. yeah. You can see the sweat right through right in his tank top. Yeah. <laughs> I got to change my tank top. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're way up against it for time. I did want to get that out there. Is as is Sun's custom. out, guns out. I'm panicking. <laughs> Let's moo cow that tank top. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.